Welcome to Dear Dio, your resource for honest advice and real authenticity for your journey from life as a pre-med to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison. I'm a fourth-year osteopathic medical student, and today we're going to talk about ending the MDDO stigma. But before we get started, I just want to give a general warning that I'm by no means an expert. I'm not a statistician. I am honestly not even a doctor yet. I'm speaking mostly from my own personal experience, and everyone's journey looks different, et cetera, et cetera. So before we get started, I wanted to do like a cute check-in topic today about pre-exam rituals. I've heard of all kinds of pre-exam rituals from listening to a specific song before you go in to the exam, um, using a specific kind of pencil, wearing certain socks. And I want you guys to go ahead and send me on Instagram or TikTok or my website all of your favorite pre-exam rituals because I think that we all have, like as medical students, I think that all of us have some pretty superstitious vibes sometimes. I know that for board exams, I wore the same sweatshirt every single day for dedicated. Like I would I would wear it for like four days and then I would wash it. And then I would wear it for four days and I would wash it. And that was the same sweatshirt that I had to wear into my board exam when it was time for the real thing. So that was my superstition. Let me know what yours is. I'm super curious. So... Let's get down to the basics. What's the difference between a DO and an MD? And hopefully we all know most of this, but I hope that maybe you'll learn something today. So there are 38 accredited colleges of osteopathic medicine. That is how we become DOs. And there are 152 accredited colleges of allopathic medicine, meaning MD programs. So hopefully all of us who are listening right now know that both MDs and DOs use science and evidence-based medicine to diagnose and treat a variety of diseases. And both MDs and DOs are licensed in all 50 states to practice medicine, perform surgeries, and prescribe medications. And honestly, most of you guys have been treated by a DO and probably didn't even realize it because there is virtually no difference unless obviously a DO is performing osteopathic manipulation on you. That's kind of the dead giveaway. But other than that, everything is the same. In my research, I found some reports that MD schools are taught to treat symptoms of the disease, while DO students are taught to treat the patient rather than the disease. This is a direct quote from Edward S. Purcell, PhD, who has taught both allopathic and osteopathic students at programs in the U.S. And although I do believe that what he said is relatively true, like I believe that I hopefully will be treating my patients rather than their disease because, I mean, we got to treat the person, not just their disease. Um, I believe that all physicians do this. I believe that in order to be a good physician, You should do this. You should be treating your patients as well as treating the symptoms of the patient. So not wrong, but not 100% correct. As far as the curriculum goes, DOs and MD schools require the same curriculum of courses including anatomy, biochemistry, histology, physiology, and different systems courses such as renal, gastrointestinal, cardiovascular, and reproductive systems. 
The list goes on and on and on for all the systems. I'm obviously not going to name all of them, but they are the same between DOs and MDs. They learn the same things, y'all. The only difference is that osteopathic schools have to learn an additional OMT course, abbreviation for osteopathic manipulative treatment, which is comprised of 240 hours of hands-on lab and lecture regarding osteopathic manipulation. So this might seem a little daunting for a lot of people, but honestly, it was kind of a nice study break, having to go in, see your friends, give them a little treatment, learn a couple of things, and it really reinforced anatomy and physiology in my brain so much better as somebody who's primarily a visual and kinesthetic learner. Being able to see muscle attachments in order to like see the patient, aka my partners, <laughs> and feel their muscular attachments, feel their ligaments, and treat their problems. Like we all have little problems. Like my neck is always messed up. I love having people around me that know how to do osteopathic manipulation who can give me a quick neck massage or like give me a suboccipital release. It's amazing. It's a great skill to have for your family and for your friends, even if you don't wish to practice it on patients. Now for exams, the MD traditional exam is the USMLE exam. They are the step one, step two, and step three exams. For DOs, we have an exam called the COMLEX, and we have level one, level two, and level three. These step versus level are supposed to be basically synonymous. So when you take step one, shortly after that, you take level one. And same thing for step two, and then right after that, you take level two. Um, if you choose to take a USMLE exam as a DO, that's how I went about it. I took my step one, and then a week later, I took my level one. When I took my step two, a week later, I took my level two. DO students can opt to take the USMLE exams. The problem is, is that as DOs, we feel a lot of pressure to take these exams because they supposedly increase your competitiveness. They can help your chances in the residency selection process. Because if you think about it, the residency committee will be comparing your actual step score to someone else's actual step score instead of comparing your level score to someone else's step score. It makes it so that you're not comparing apples to oranges. They are able to see a direct comparison right in front of them rather than trying to calculate some kind of score equalizer. That's a problem for a lot of DO students because in addition to tuition, um, we really can't work as medical students like MD or DO. So we have to live on loans for the most part, unless you come from a very wealthy family. If so, I love that for you. Uh, that was not my journey. So I have a lot of loan payments and having to pay for the Comlex exam itself was probably $800. And then having to pay for an additional course just to make residency committees notice me as a DO that I am just as competent at taking a test as an MD student, I had to pay an additional $700 to $800. Um, that might not seem like a lot to you guys, but every dollar counts when you're living on loans, in addition to an extra day of your life, right? Like I studied so hard for these tests, and each one of these tests is easily eight to nine hour days of just testing. So the stress, the money, etc. Now this may change because 
Um, step one and level one have transitioned to pass-fail in January of 2022, an effort to reduce some of the pressure to obtain specific numerical scores. A lot of schools have also incorporated this kind of grading system into a pass-fail system to save some of that burnout. Um, hopefully it works. I don't know. I can't relate. All of my stuff was graded. And I was not in that group who got step one as pass-fail. My step one and level one were both scored. So we will see how this affects the rest of the classes to come, I guess. And then as far as school block exams go, every school is different regardless of being MD or DO. And that goes with prestige as well. Some of the best DO programs are going to be better than a lot of MD pro programs. That's just how it is. Um, I know that PCOM in Philadelphia is great. I know NYITCOM in New York is amazing. And so those are probably better than I'd say 75% of MD schools just off the bat. And so school block exams depend on the individual school curriculum, and they vary widely within MD and DO systems, respectively. So for example, some schools might do system-based learning or case-based learning or subject-based learning, or sometimes like a mixture of all three. And this is when you really want to ask, I mean, if, you're, if you are a pre-med listening to this, this is a really good point to make sure that you ask these kinds of questions. What is your curriculum like? Are you learning based on cases or are you learning based on systems and making that decision for yourself. How do I want to learn? How do I best learn? First, that's step one is how do I learn? And then step two is how is a school going to help facilitate my learning? So keep that in mind. And some schools use traditional grading, very few as I've gathered, um, because there's been this huge movement towards pass-fail grading like I was talking about before. We saw it with step one, level one. It's happened across the U.S. in a lot of medical schools, both MD and DO, especially among more prestigious schools whose students can kind of ride on that school's name and reputation rather than the grades. Um, Pass-fail systems have also alleviated a lot of the stress and toxicity among students to like beat the curve, um, but has not resolved the toxicity entirely like whatsoever. So I think that going towards pass-fail is probably really good, but I think we have to kind of self-analyze and think, okay, why why are these group of students so competitive towards one another? Like what, who hurt them basically? Like what the heck? Um, I've seen so much of it on social media and it's kind of, not kind of, it's, it's actually like really disheartening to see people just put each other down. So maybe stop, not maybe, definitely stop, okay? Um, as far as residency goes for MDs and DOs, there was a merger in 2020, and it was designed to streamline the match process. So prior to 2020, there was the MD match and there was a DO match, and they did not intermingle. So there was a merger, and the merger was designed to probably most of it was based on saving money, let's be honest. But um, not only save money, but create a consistent method of evaluating residency programs. So we wanted to make sure that the doctors going into the MD residency programs were becoming the same level doctors as the ones going into DO program residencies. Another reason why the merger happened was to encourage MD students to pursue family medicine and encourage DO students to pursue subspecialties. So it was designed to kind of 
kind of make this bridge where MD students were classically known to go into competitive subspecialties and DOs were known to go into primary care. And the problem was that there still wasn't enough primary care. And so making those DO residency programs more available to MD candidates and making or the MD residency programs more available to DO candidates, hopefully there will be more family medicine, more doctors doing what they want to do. And I believe that we're getting there. I really do. So why do you think DOs traditionally match into primary care? Well, fun fact, more DO seniors have more interest in family care. And this can be attributable to the fact that most DO programs have missions to serve local rural regions and have emphasis on primary care literally in their mission statement. Um, They also have amazing opportunities for students wanting to pursue primary care. They have scholarships, they have connections, they have their own residency programs that also accept MDs. And then MD seniors classically have more interest in things like radiology, neurosurgery, plastic surgery, things like that. But are these graduates, are DOs and MDs actually getting the residencies that they want is the question that everybody wants because that's that's the real question at the end of the day. It does not matter if they're going into the more competitive or the less competitive. I don't care. Are they getting what they want? Are they happy with their choices? Okay. So last year, 2022, US MD seniors who matched 74.5% of them matched into one of their top three choices. That's an increase of 2.2%. In the same year, USDO seniors who matched, 76.7% of them matched into one of their top three choices. That's an increase of 4.5%. So DOs honestly came out on top. I don't think it's statistically significant. But DOs are making our way to getting the residencies that we want. And that is the whole goal. We want to be right up in there with the MDs, getting the residencies that we want, and we're doing it. So here's some common myths that I get on social media. Firstly, I mean, we just kind of talked about this, but something that I hear all the time is that DOs only match into non-competitive primary care specialties. So that includes pediatrics, internal medicine, and family medicine. Well, only 57% of DO seniors matched into primary care specialties. What happened to the other 43%? They matched into non-primary care specialties, which are supposedly more competitive and harder to get into. And like I've mentioned before, more DO students choose primary care or family medicine likely due to the fact that DO programs do a great job at creating primary care doctors. And it's often mentioned in their mission statement. So like, why not? People are going into these schools, maybe not knowing what they want to do. And they're, they're just surrounded by great primary care doctors, and it makes them want to do primary care, which is great. Let the people do what they want to do. But as far as the non-primary care specialties, the percent of DOs matching into these quote-unquote more competitive specialties is increasing every year. According to the NRMP data release in 2022, um, for orthopedic surgery, MD match rate was 64%, DO match rate was 54%. This is the number of matches over the number of applicants. 
if there were 1,086 applicants for orthopedic surgery, 705 of them matched for MDs, just to explain those statistics a little bit better. But um, for neurology, the match rate for applicants was 66% for MDs and 61% for DOs. In dermatology, it was 67% for MDs and 45% for DOs. And in general surgery, which was a larger gap, was 72% for MDs and 53% for DOs. Keep in mind, a lot of these applicants are probably dual applying. So when you look at like, oh, that's a really low match rate, um, they might be dual applying and it all depends on their rank list, right? So if you dual applied for surgery and internal medicine and you got internal medicine, then, well, you didn't technically match for surgery, but you did for internal medicine. So that that person would not be counted in that percent. Just to kind of round out the number of DO applicants who successfully matched into non-primary care subspecialties has continued to grow every single year since the merger in 2020. And I'm projecting that it will continue to grow because we are making great strides for DO graduates. And I think we're going to start to see this trend where DO and MD match rates are going to start to become kind of on the same level, no matter what the specialty is. I mean, we still have some work to do in, in, in areas like plastic surgery and um, neurosurgery where MD match rates are way higher than DO match rates. And I am absolutely not trying to sugarcoat the fact that it may be harder for a DO candidate to match into something like radiology or surgery, but it's not impossible. And this gap is getting smaller and smaller every year to the point where I believe eventually there will be no difference. So... Those are just my thoughts. I am just a fourth-year osteopathic medical student. What do I know? But even with the residency match rate gap between MD and DO graduates closing and DOs matching into more and more competitive specialties each year, the bias still exists. So if you are a pre-med and you are certain that you want to do a very specific specialty like plastic surgery or interventional radiology, Perhaps you should pursue an MD program. Um, the caveat to that being that 75% of medical students end up changing their specialty preference at some point during medical school. That's just a fact. So it's not that I don't believe in you. I don't. It's not that I don't believe that you won't become a great plastic surgeon. It's that 75% of students are going to change their mind. I went into medical school thinking I wanted to be a surgeon, and I'm coming out of it a neurologist. So let that speak for itself. If you're unsure of what you want to do, keep DO in mind as there are often scholarships for DO students and these programs offer an early hands-on and holistic approach, which is so integral to just being a DO. And of course, the most important aspects of choosing a medical school should be things like location, cost, and the overall vibe. Are you going to be happy at this place? Does this place offer a supportive environment for your learning? And let's face it, this conversation regarding DO versus MD has been exhausted. The discrepancy between DO and MD residency match into competitive subspecialties is likely multifactorial, which could be attributed to the fact that most DO programs have great primary care education and scholarships. So at the end of the day, do what's right for you. Another layer to this whole subspecialty selection, um, which I could honestly do an entire episode on, 
is salary for these subspecialties. I think that pediatrics, internal medicine, and family medicine get a bad rep because they have lower salaries compared to vascular surgeons. And so they get looked down on a lot. But if you look at the average salary for any given specialty, there's a huge spectrum. And that makes sense because it's all about what you do with that specialty. Where you work, do you have your own private practice? Do you work in a group? Are you part of a large hospital corporation? I think that a lot of us, especially in the middle of medical school, get this kind of pressure of, oh my God, I'm looking at my bank account and I have $400,000 in debt. I need to do something that's gonna pay for my bills rather than do something that makes me happy. And I believe that everyone who enters the medical field does so with good intent to help people But this kind of rising anxiety, it's so easy to be swayed by the large numbers that you see when you look up a doximity salary estimate for a neurosurgeon compared to a family medicine doc. And it makes so much more sense to do a specialty that you enjoy and take some personal finance courses and learn how to run a business than it does to pick surgery over family medicine because of the supposed pay difference when you know you would be happier working a nine to five rather than getting called in at 4 a.m. to do a gallbladder surgery. I could go into this so much further, but TLDR, you should do the specialty that you enjoy regardless of estimated salaries. I kind of fell into this a little bit over the weekend. I remember I was looking at neurology subspecialty salaries and just trying to trying to see like what the what the options are if I was to do a fellowship. And I have been super interested in neuroimmunology because of, you know, I read Brain on Fire and it was really great. And I did some sub-eyes and I had lots of exposure to autoimmune encephalitides and multiple sclerosis and neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder. I was looking at how multiple sclerosis doctors make probably the least amongst all of the neuro neurology subspecialties. And I was really bummed, like not going to lie. I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I should just do whatever I want. Life is short. I can do personal finance courses, figure out how to make money no matter what. I should just do what makes me happy. And I am going to give you the same advice that I gave myself. Just do what makes you happy. And with that, I'll give my closing remarks. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dear.do.pod. You can check out my official website, deardopod.com for blog posts, guides, and you can submit your questions about all things medical school. Support the continuation of this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly. And I hope to see you here next time.